Hey, let's get started in our talk for today, Easter Sunday. Here we go. The first recorded question Jesus asked Peter after Easter was, I don't know if you know what it was, the first recorded question Jesus asked Peter after Easter, well, I'm going to give you a head start and you're going to turn to the text we're going to talk about today. It's actually in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. If you want to grab your Bible or look at it on your device, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. And you see, leading up to Christ's death, Jesus foretold to Peter that he would deny Jesus three times. And it came true, just as Jesus said. And after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus was then reunited with his disciples. And after they had a meal, Jesus and Peter went off to the side and Jesus asked Peter this question. So here's his question to Peter after Easter. And the question was, Peter, do you love me? And in fact, he asked Peter three separate times, do you love me? Do you love me? And the reason why Jesus asked that question was because it really is the most important question. And we know that loving God is the most important commandment because earlier in the Gospels, Jesus was asked by a teacher of the law, which commandment is the greatest of all the commandments in the Old Testament? And Jesus actually stumped that leader, that teacher of the law, because he said that the greatest commandment is found in Deuteronomy, the passage we're going to study today, and it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And then he said the second one is just like it. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if loving God was a big deal for Jesus when he rose from the dead, and he asked Peter about that, well, I think it's probably a big deal for us to talk about on today's Resurrection Sunday as well. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to read this section of Scripture for you, verses 4 to 9. And here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now I want to mention this passage reveals a few vivid truths that are going to help us understand what Jesus was talking about in his answer to the Pharisees and ultimately what he was talking about even when he talked to Peter and said, do you love me? Let's talk about it. <clears throat> so when he mentions, do you love me, and even here in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, we understand that loving God <clears throat> and loving 
It's not a matter of if we love, but who we love. It's not a matter of if we love, but who we love. Notice what the text says. It, we are to love the Lord our God. The Lord is one. So this is way more than just a theology lesson for the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy 6. God wasn't merely trying to reveal to them his nature, that he's just one God, and that all the religions around him were wrong. The reality is the religions around him were, were worshiping multiple gods. They were called polytheists. There was the sun god and the moon god and the god of fertility and the god of rain and so on and so forth. And all of these many gods that they worshiped. Well, here God was telling the Israelites that they are to look to the one, the true God, the only God, and that he cares for all of these things all in himself. And their love is not to be spread abroad, but rather to be reserved for him alone. It is not a matter of if they love, but it's who they love, and their love is to be reserved for him, for God alone. Now, I'm going to tell you how this works out in my life. I have this document at home, and it's dated November 4th, 1995. And it says that there's only one wife in my life, and for her, she has only one husband. <clears throat> and here's how the whole transaction works. There's no one else in the whole world that can say that I belong to them except this little gal at home named Lisa. And if someone else came along and tried to lay claim to me, she could pull out the sheet of paper that has been signed by both her and me and has been notarized on legal file in Grand Rapids, Michigan, <clears throat> and it mentions that I am hers and no one else's. Now, the reality is she's not had to do this because since uh, we've been married, not even my parents have tried to get me back. But here's the reality of the whole story. Forget about all that. There is an exclusivity to our love. I am hers. She is mine. It's not a matter of if we love. It is who we love. And we are reserved for each other alone. So we've come to realize this. God doesn't command us to love. Rather, he talks to us about who to love, and it's him. This is to be an exclusive love, a reserved love, and a supreme love in which no one else supersedes him, and he doesn't even have a close second in this whole race. It's evident that there's a whole lot of things that compete for love with God. In fact, <clears throat> If we look down a few verses in verse 13 and 14, the text mentions fear God and, and God alone. Serve him and no one else. It says don't follow any other gods, the gods of all the people around you. And that's what he mentions to the people of Israel. And God's not stupid. God knows how easily our attention can be diverted to so many others. There's so many things in our life that can, that can draw our attention away from him and and so he, he tries to pull our attention toward him and he says, I want you to know 
that your love is to be for me. It's to be reserved for me. The real issue is who we love, and he makes it pretty plain. Our object of ultimate love and loyalty needs to be for him, and there's no close second. So here's the second thing about our love. It's not just that we love God, but how we love him that matters. I'm going to tell you that the smallest word in the next verses are the biggest words that we need to think about. Notice verse 5. It says, love the Lord your God. Here's a small word. It's the biggest ones. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And probably the smallest word is the biggest word. It's a really big word and it gives a sense that we are to be consumed with love for God. And it's where he gets this love. It comes from all of who we are. Everything that we are, we are to give of ourselves. It should in some way reflect that we truly do love God. And notice all of our heart. And rather than hitting at maybe just our specific abilities, or a list of do's and don'ts. It's really, it comes from within all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. It's talking about passion, what comes from within, all of our ambition. I love the reality that that everything that is within us should come out in love for God. There's an effort, there's a commitment There's a satisfaction, there's a passion. And it reminds me of years ago when I was in basketball in college and and there was a sense early on that that coach pulled us in and, and he wanted us to do things differently. And before season started, he told us, he says, we're gonna have some practices at midnight. He says, I wanna, I wanna change your diet. He says, I'm gonna have you do some weightlifting drills. He says, I want you to buy some special equipment with your own money. He says, I want you to give up some other special activities that you're doing to devote time just for basketball. He says, we're going we're to really make you work really hard by doing some special drills. And, and he did all of this. And, and, and we were wondering, why are you telling us all of this? You haven't even seen us play. And... And I remember him telling us this one phrase. He says, I'm not checking to see if you're talented. He says, I'm checking to see if you are all in. He was checking on our passion. He was checking on our commitment. And that reminds me of this very word, all, here in this passage. Is it from here? Are we giving God what we have from within? That's what God's asking for, to love him with all that we have, to love him from our inside, from our passion, from our commitment. It's not just that we love God, but it's how we love God that matters. And here's the third thing that the text gives us about this idea of loving God, this priority of loving God. The text mentions that loving God starts in us. 
And then it goes on to others. This is really special. In verse 6, it mentions, These commandments that I give you today, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, they are to be on your hearts. It first starts with us. And then he mentions verse 7, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So the first part of this loving God with all that you are, it starts first in us. We don't expect it out there from other people, but it starts right here in us. We shouldn't expect it in others before expecting it in us. And our ability to infect others with this kind of love is dependent on us having it in us in the first place. So before the other church leaders, I need to have it myself. Before I can expect this in my kids or my grandkids, it needs to be visible in me. It starts here, but it doesn't end here. It moves on from me to the next generation and to the next individuals that I'm trying to reach. And now, especially parents, the text is talking to you and it's talking to me. Parents are to impress it on their children. We're to repeat these priorities with our young people, with our own kids. And it mentions to do this at home and and not to wait for other people to try to impress these on your kids, but we're to do these at home. And it mentions when you, when you sit at home, and we've got a lot of time sitting at home right now, let's not waste that time. But impress our love for God when you're sitting at home, when you're outside walking, When you lie down at night, when you get up in the morning, it's to be a cycle. All day long, there needs to be this time with our family. When they go to bed, when they get up, whatever it is, we're taking the time with our kids to impress upon them a love for God. All of this time, it's more than an event. It's an environment that we have. And then it mentions even some visuals that we need to have with our kiddos It mentions that you tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, I know sometimes we think maybe it's better to tie like our kids down if we want them to behave better. But the whole idea is not tying your kids. It's tying what they call tephilim or phylacteries. These were small boxes with long leather straps that they would tie around their arms and even around their heads, and there would be a little box, and they would open up that box, and in it would be this little piece of parchment, and when they would open up that piece of parchment, they would read on this piece of parchment these words. It would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And then we'd, they would roll up that little piece of parchment, put it back in that little box, and shut it up. That's how they would remind themselves 
of their call to love God with all that they have. So they had reminders on themselves. They were to have reminders all day long with their kids. They even had reminders in their house. It mentions that they had reminders on their door. They had reminders on their gate. So it wasn't just for them, it was even for people as they passed by. They were to have a special impact on their neighbors, on friends, on their neighborhood. This is how this was to impress people and impact people that were outside of their house. This whole loving God thing was supposed to be a major force, not just for them, for their family, but affecting people outwardly. And it was to affect people in significant ways. It was to show up through regular contact that they had, those closest connections. It was, she, it was seen in their attitudes, in their words, in their motivations, in their treatment of others, in their view of others, in their priorities, in their resources, in their giving, in their choices, in their habits, in their ambitions. Folks, it was in everything. And that's how we show that we love God with all. And the way that I say it, when we are all in, it's in all. When we are all in, it's in all. So we end up this conversation the way we began it. Jesus pulled Peter aside after Peter had betrayed him and here Jesus went through his death and his burial and his resurrection and he just says to Peter, probably the most important question of all, Peter, do you really love me? Do you love me? Is it with all? Do you love me with all? And we know that not only is it loving God with all, but the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus had said to the Pharisee, for on these rest all the laws and the teachings. I want to mention um, a couple things because you might be asking, what does it mean for me today? What does it mean for me to love God and to love my neighbor today on this Resurrection Sunday? Well, I want to express a few different things. Number one, it's impossible to love Jesus Christ and not believe who he is and what he did for us. And so I want to tell you, friend, what we need to do the very first thing we need to do in loving Jesus is we need to believe that he died on the cross as the substitutionary atonement for our sin. He died for you and he died for me. He died for our sin to reconcile us to God, to make a right relationship with us and God. And so I want to tell you that we need to believe and accept Jesus' death on the cross That's the first step of loving God. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. We need to believe that God the Father brought him back to life on the third day. And there's no other way 
around our sin being atoned for except belief in Jesus Christ. That's the first step of love. And I want to encourage you today, if you're wondering where you're at with God, if you're wondering where is, what does God think about me? Am I really forgiven? The first step is to believe that Jesus died for you. That's the only way to be forgiven. He paid for your sin when he died on the cross. We can love him because he first loved us and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Love him. Believe him. Believe what he did for you. Now here's number two. Start loving God right where you are. Start loving him right where you are. Right at home. Start loving him personally. Right in your heart. Take time to read his word. Take time to meditate and think about him. Take time to think and, and listen to praise music and consider who he is. Talk to him throughout the day in prayer. But connect with him personally, lovingly, and enjoy him. And then I want to tell you, connect with a small group. That's the next great step in loving God. Connect with a small group where you're, you're talking with other people about God and enjoying Him with other people. It's a tremendous way to enjoy God is with others. And then I'm going to tell you also, rub off in a good way on your kids and on others. Love God and express that and rub off on your kids, rub off on your spouse, rub off on your neighbors with your attitude and with your words and with your motivations and with your treatment of others and with your resources and with your giving and your choices. Rub off on others with your love for God. The big statement that I've come up with I know a number of you are disappointed that we're not in a church facility today on Easter Sunday. But we don't need a church facility on Easter to love God and love our neighbor. All we need is our God and a neighbor. So take the opportunity today, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing so, you know you're fulfilling the two greatest commandments. And you're fulfilling the first question Jesus asked Peter after Easter. Do you love me? And we get to tell God, oh yes I do. I love you with all that I am. Folks, have a great rest of your Easter Sunday with family. How about I pray with you? So God, we thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the reality that not only did he die for us, but he lives for us. And one day we will be united with him in heaven. Thank you, God, that we are a part of a family, a network of believers. And even though we don't see each other face to face, 
we are united around one belief, the belief that Jesus is our rescuer, our Lord. And Father, we thank you that we are a family that is united. I pray God for this family, not only of East Bay Calvary, but the large family of believers today across the globe continue to allow your kingdom to grow and to prosper and multiply, make more and better followers of Jesus. And may we show the world that we love you and that we love them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.